Hello, everyone, and welcome to Future Imagined, a foresight podcast dedicated to futures thinking. I'm Joe Lapore, your host. I lead foresight for North America within the global foresight team at Mars Wrigley. So uh, as we said yesterday, this is a continuation. We're doing something a little bit different. It's a live conversation at a live event. And today we have part two of our Foresight series. Yesterday we had a chat with Michelle Gansley about how you create a dedicated Foresight function. How do you build that Foresight culture? Today we're going to go a little bit further into the future and talk about how an established Foresight function maintains its success with Adam Walker. Hey, Adam. Hey, glad to be here. So happy that you could join us. So we are live at the IIEX North America event, which is the Insight Innovation Exchange. And we are definitely going to be doing what we did yesterday, which is to throw to the audience for questions at the end. So as Adam is talking, and Adam is a very eloquent and intelligent man, I'm sure that you will have lots of questions for him. Uh Uh-oh, you've just set the bar very high. (laughs) We will leave a little bit of time for that for you to to jump in at the end. Um, So Adam is the Executive Director of Consumer Foresight and Market Exploration at the Walt Disney Company. So I think you probably have the coolest job and the coolest title in the world. I do wake up and feel pretty lucky every day. Uh, It's exciting stuff as you can imagine making people's dreams come true that's a lot of what we do yeah absolutely and i should say welcome back because adam has actually been on future imagined before so it's nice to nice to have you back on the show yeah i i was excited when i got the email and and you asked if i'd come along absolutely yes had such a great time last time so yeah super fun and we're going to be talking about my all-time favorite topic, which is foresight and something that you and I live and breathe every day. But Mars Wrigley has had foresight for about a year and a half. Disney has had foresight as a dedicated resource for over five years Yeah, now. right about five. Right. So take us through a little bit of the journey of, um, firstly, you know, what you do, what your role is, and then how did you establish foresight at Disney? It's interesting. When you ask what our role is in foresight, I think maybe, maybe you face this as well. We do a lot of things. So I think sometimes there's a pretty narrow definition in many, people, in many people's mind of what foresight is. What we've discovered is we're really there to help provoke strategic readiness. So that, I would say, is kind of what our big mission is there. We're out there working across all of our different lines of business to help them think about what they need to do today to be prepared for a plausible future that's out there. So that's much of what our time is spent doing, consulting with people uh, understanding those bigger questions that our, our internal clients are, are grappling with mm-hmm. and trying to figure out the best way that we can support them to be ready for whatever might come their way. Yeah, amazing. And you use the word plausible in there. And I think a lot of people who are less familiar with foresight, they kind of just assume that all futures are plausible, but we're talking about probable being those closer in futures, plausible being a little bit in that midterm horizon, yeah. and then possible is much more open to uncertainty, right? That's right. And, you know, I will say, I live in Florida, so we talk about the cone of uncertainty there. People, under, people there actually understand what it is. You look at a hurricane forecast, you know, okay. the, the, the closer you are in, the more likely something is to happen, the further out, you know, the less likely. But we spend a lot of time trying to understand what's out there, what's our desired future, mm-hmm. and then backcast into actions that we can take today to get us to where we want to be, to a desired future. 
Amazing. And so we touched on this a little bit yesterday in the conversation with Michelle, but futurism and foresight is as much about understanding where the world is headed and seeing those signals and mapping them as it is about helping the business to influence where it should go or where or helping the business go where it wants to be in the future, right? No, absolutely. And I would say that's one of the tougher kind of nuts to crack internally is using that idea of plausible futures. There are multiple futures out there. Uh, coming to consensus or agreement on which future is the right one, you know, being proactive about what we want to happen versus letting the future happen to us. So mm. lots of discussions about disrupting ourselves versus being disrupted by external forces or competition. So um, yeah. hard strategic discussions in there, but always really fulfilling, interesting stuff. Yeah, it's an excellent gig. So I want to ask you something which is unscripted. Da-dum. Uh, which is about COVID, obviously, because you've had foresight in play before COVID and then yep. COVID came. So how did that shift the mindset in the business of how they could leverage foresight? Okay, well, I'll give you an example. This might be a surprise for some, but I would say that the approach to foresight is a lot about scanning the external environment and understanding you know, how to think about those things. We actually shifted gears in my department during the pandemic and our, near, our, our longer term future was a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. We basically applied all of our foresight scanning skills, our ability to kind of knit together a story and understand plausible futures and applied them to a very short term horizon to understand. I mean, in our case, a lot of our businesses travel. You know, what can we expect from travelers in the next couple weeks versus in the next few years? Mm-hmm. So this skill set was very transferable. And kind of odd because you think about the future, but the future horizon became very small. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say the team was set up somewhat uniquely in that they had the ability to deal with very ambiguous questions, mm-hmm. had the ability to think through strategic impact, and, and we were called to do that. So uh, I guess we were living by our own rules that we have to be flexible, agile, and, and you know understand what the business needs to be able to function. Yeah. Obviously, now we're coming you know, out of that a little bit more and getting back to our, our normal bread and butter, which is thinking a little bit you know, beyond a couple of weeks from now. Mm-hmm. But um, the skill set remains the same. It, it was a big impact. So mm-hmm. now we're trying to figure out what, what the next normal looks like. Uh, and you know, again, I would say the big impact is, uh, let's say that previously we would probably have been talking 5, 10, you know, a longer term horizon with the pace of change, we've actually moved closer in. So we're looking more like the three to five year horizon right now. Three to five, yeah. And it's so important to be able to really understand how foresight can be most effectively leveraged in the organization. So I love that you guys have done that, that flexibility that foresight gives you in understanding different possible futures. You've also brought that into how you actually leverage foresight in you know pivoting to whatever time frame is gonna be the most useful to the business. and. I think that there's a a great ability to leverage foresight, not for firefighting, but we often talk about the blind spots and sometimes blind spots do come up unexpectedly and out of nowhere and very quickly. So foresight can be a great enabler for you to be able to almost like make the business pay attention to something that they weren't paying attention to or maybe taking something more seriously that they weren't taking seriously. Couldn't agree more. I mean, isn't it better to make sure that the fire never happens versus having to put it out? I mean, that's a lot of kind of what our intent is and where we try to get ahead so that we can start to understand, you know, what are those big picture issues that maybe no one's paying attention to or doesn't have the time to pay attention to. I think, you know, a lot of our partners, they're running, worrying about, you know, the shorter term. Somebody has to have their eye on the longer term. That's a lot of what our team does. 
prevent the fire from starting. I think that's going to be the quote of the conversation. I love it. So I wanted to ask you something in relation to that. So we're talking a lot about reacting to disruption and pivoting your business and being, you know, very flexible. And I think a lot of people, when they think about Disney and, you know, even the Disney parks, they have a lot of nostalgic feelings associated with that. And they, they kind of want that to stay the same. So a quote from Walt Disney comes to my mind, which is progress is impossible without change. So how do you maintain uh, a culture of change and progress and understanding and reacting to disruption while still, you know, respecting the traditions and the heritage that is at the core of the company? Before I answer this, obviously I'm speaking for myself, not the company. So I, you know, I do work at Disney. But um, I will say one of the things that uh, we really pay attention to or is kind of really innate to who we are is that our stories to a certain degree are pretty much timeless. The story itself doesn't change, but the way that we bring it to life does. Mm. So you may have seen kind of maybe a shift in the way that we talk about princesses or the way that princesses are brought to life. Mm. A lot of that is because, you know, uh, we're paying attention to what the needs are out there, you know, from our consumer and understanding that while the story is still the story and always build, will be that story, there are new ways to bring it to life, new ways to think about how the consumer wants to engage with us. Uh, we're really paying attention to what those movements and values and, and you know, in, and needs and unmet needs are so we can be out ahead of where the consumer is, where they're going versus where they are today. I love that. So getting ahead of what consumers want, you know, maintaining relevance and really, like you said, paying attention to what's happening in the external world. But it doesn't mean that you always have to be first, right? I think a lot of people think that trends is all about getting in on something before others do and having that competitive advantage. But an example that I've got here is, you know, the first Disney park opened in 1971. Correct me if that's not right. But it wasn't the first theme park. So it just came at the right time. And then now it's emblematic of what that park experience should be. So it doesn't always mean that you have to be first on trends, right? I would agree. I mean, and I'll, I'll put a little pitch out. We weren't first, but we were best, right? So, you know, quality does play a role in all of this that, you know, when you really do listen and, and exceed and or, like I said, get ahead of the needs, understanding what people don't even know that they want, mm. you really can do something special. And I would say something, you know, I'm fortunate to work where I do in that mm. it's a lot of the work that happens is trying to figure out what people are going to want, what people are going to love. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of the time that's spent. Mm. Um, that's, I think, where we set ourselves aside. Maybe not the, the first to the category, but the first to really bring it to life and take advantage of what it can be. I love that so much. And so you touched on something there that I want to dive into. And I didn't let you introduce yourself, but as a little bit of a background, you did 12 years in the automotive industry. Yep. Working at Nissan or Nissan, as you like to Nissan. say. Nissan. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> the US. So in that capacity, you were more so focused on market intelligence. And I'm yes. sure that you leveraged Foresight like we all do inside of Insight. But how were those sort of skills or capabilities transferred into what you do here or how are they different? Well, there's a few things. One would be very capital intensive industries. So, you know, you're spending quite a bit of money, for instance, to build a new plant, to build new cars. Mm -hmm. And also the, the horizon for development. It's not that, you know, a designer wakes up one day and says, I'd love to build a new car. Let's have it out in a month. No, it's multiple years of planning. Mm. That means you really have to have an eye on the future and, you know, building design stretch into, for instance, whatever it is you're building that knowing that 
you know, it may not be off a production line for four or five years and then it has to live with a consumer for, let's say, eight years after that, you really have to think ahead. You know, 13 years from now, is someone still going to find this product interesting? Mm. Uh, thinking about, you know, I'll use the theme park example, pretty similar. You know, we're building an asset that is likely going to be there for 50, I mean, Walt Disney World's celebrating 50 years this year, you know, that's mm. going to be with us for a long time. How do you make sure that's something that has some staying power, that really has that enduring relevance? Mm -hmm. So you have to really think ahead to make sure that, uh, you know, whatever it is we're building or making, the two uh, are very similar in that regard. Yeah. And so it sounds like a, a part of a business that can be incredibly influential. But I think the challenge that we face in Foresight is that it is indirectly influencing or aiding decisions or like a partner to a lot of other functions that are making those big decisions. So how do you make sure that foresight is in that critical part of recommendations and then you know pushing through to future investment opportunities? Or could you give us an example of where you've done that? Yeah, that is the big question, right? Because it's hard. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. And I would say that I have the wonderful, perfect answer to to you know to say that this is exactly how you crack that code. But honestly, a lot of it's perseverance. It's us making sure that we're in the right meetings, sitting in the right room. Mm -hmm. And even five years in, it's taken us time to get into the right meetings, mm -hmm. um, into the right rooms with the right people. Like I said, a lot of it is demonstrating, maybe through smaller examples or wins, why this is helpful, making sure that that you know, moves its way through the system such that you're in the room when those bigger decisions are being made. But also, we're trying to work more toward, you know, I came from a Japanese company, I would say a little bit more toward process, that we have some key milestones, some key check-ins, where this type of information is highly useful and, and very purposeful mm. to, for instance, the design process. Mm. Work in progress still here, but that really has been key, is that we have these, you know, or will have these key checkpoints where we're taking that look outside in versus just inside. And it's difficult. Yeah. When you're Disney, it's easy just to say, hey, you know, we're fortunate we do great things and people love us, but you know, it's always important to look outside. I think that's such an important point for all companies that even at Mars Wrigley, you know, we're so proud of what we have achieved and what we've created that what we often think we are the best, we are the best in, in many areas, but we still need to build that curiosity of how do we improve our, not only our company, but our industry, our category by looking outside and, and being really you know, curious about what's happening in that in that space. I also love the point that you made about the critical milestones or the critical projects that the business is working on. So even if you don't have a dedicated foresight function, how do you bring foresight thinking into that? So maybe you've seen something in the news recently. So um, Story Living by Disney, that's something yes. we're involved in. Nice. A lot of that came to life really through the idea of scanning the external world, you know, what are those evolving needs? Where are there consumers that we can engage with, you know, more fully or in new ways? Uh, a lot of that came from our work in Foresight. The interesting thing is, if you were to kind of ask around Disney, people may not remember. I think that's kind of what happens in the Foresight space. Like you said, we're there advising or kind of influencing, but this is probably one of the more direct cases where we're able to help identify an opportunity mm. and then see it through. Mm. So not only just identifying the opportunity, helping shape what the product should be. Amazing. Um, yeah. I love that example. So for those of you who don't know what Story Living is, it's a uh, all-contained physical real-life community um, that is fully immersive and fully you know, run by Disney, right? I'm sure you can explain it better than I can. Yeah, so um, in the Coachella Valley, so 
Cotino is the name of the neighborhood. But yeah, I think that was a pretty good description. But really, it's the ability to live. I mean, and think about the Disney brand. It's not just about the wonderful stories that we tell or mm-hmm. just about our characters. It's also about the quality that we provide. I mean, there's some natural segues for people looking for a home. That's really what it's about is, you know, having that guarantee or that stamp of quality of Disney and then having the opportunity on top of that to mm-hmm. live some really unique experiences that only Disney can bring to life. So Incredible. Yeah. I had a, a foresight presentation to our sales team and I use that as an example. I think it's just such a great articulation of how do you identify consumer needs around being connected to your local community, which is what we're seeing at the moment, and feeling like you're in a safe and secure place, but also having fun and connecting with people. So, you know, huge congratulations for, you know, having such a compelling foresight case. Yeah, I can't wait to see it in real life. It's still being built, but yeah, I, I mean, it's just amazing stuff. Amazing. So Story Living was the name of the community. So I want to talk about storytelling which storytelling is such an integral part of what Disney's all about. How do you bring effective storytelling into foresight recommendations? So many ways, I will say. The truth, though, I'm so fortunate to have the team that I do, all great storytellers. Really, it is making this very heady, kind of difficult topic something that people can repeat back to. We try to make the stories approachable. So, uh, you know, I can't think of a specific example that I could share right now for confidentiality reasons, let's say, but we spend a lot of time initially helping people understand how we do what we do Mm. such that when the story is ready, they can follow along with us, meaning moving from external factors to shifts in values to macro trend. I said the T word, but, you know, not not trendy trend, you know, (laughs) high level human needs. And really, once people have that framework, when we tell the stories that we do and dig into things like, for instance, I don't know, the future of food and beverage in our space, people are able to follow along with us. Mm -hmm. We really bring those stories to life with uh, external examples. So you'd be surprised how many examples from startups, from industries adjacent or even really far from us, we bring into that story to help people really make things concrete. Uh, If we were purely to talk about the things that we do in our world, uh, it can feel a little academic. We Mm. try our very best to give real-world examples that are very concrete, Mm. something that people can touch, feel, and experience. Mm. It's so powerful because foresight sometimes is just talking about high-level concepts and ideas, and you're trying to explain very, you know, sometimes confusing for people ideas, and so bringing a, a specific example. I used to think that that was limiting for people, but actually it's a really great shortcut to be able to get to the same page with them on future opportunities. So yesterday, Michelle from McDonald's was talking about how they pay attention to some of those macro environmental forces that are really influencing their industry. For example, the sourcing of beef or the changing behaviors around beef for consumers. Jen Vogel from Real Talk. Uh, mentioned this as well. Thank you, Jen. Huge shout out. Um, So how do you balance paying attention to the signals and the trends that are really relevant to the entertainment industry and to Disney with, you know, bringing in the curiosity about some of the other stuff that might seem completely disconnected? That's maybe one of the big learnings I think that we've had over the past five years. I would say when we started, we were much more in the space of self-directed topical uh, insights. You know, what do we think is happening in the world that we find interesting, intriguing, or that we believe would be impactful to the business? Over time, we've shifted to a bit more of a pragmatic model 
in that we're much more connected to the business. So we're understanding the business questions that are top of mind and really focusing our efforts there. So I would say our, our 80-20 flipped. Mm. Initially, we were much more in kind of the fun space of, you know, let's imagine a, a future that could look many different ways. Now we're more helpful. Mm -hmm. We're actually out there understanding, hey, I need to know more about the operational aspect of A or B or C. Much more specific questions, much more pragmatic, much more concrete. And we, I would say, we're moving the needle much more quickly because of that. Mm. I love that. So I want to bring in an example of where I am sure that you are getting pulled into conversations that are very important to the business and some of the plans that it's making like everybody else is. I'm talking about the metaverse, of course. Um, so with the metaverse, you're probably trying to get really specific on like, what is the business intent here? What is the business challenge? What is the business trying to understand? But also balancing it with making it think a little bit differently about the concept of the metaverse. Yeah, and, and it's funny. The metaverse has been such a topic over the last, what, six, eight months. I mean, mm. it's just you can't turn the TV on and not <laughs> hear about it, which... yeah. This is one where we do have a crystal ball in our office, by the way. I, I, I don't know how accurate it is, but this is something we've been talking about for a long time, you know, where the physical and digital worlds together, come together. So, digital reality. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, I, that's why I, I want to sound really excited about the metaverse, but it's something we've been tracking for a while. Yes. So, what does that mean for us? You know, again, can't speak for the company, but I can mm -hmm. speak for myself. We're paying attention to what makes sense. You know, what makes sense for our business mm -hmm. and, and really what makes sense for us is to try and influence uh, how things come to life versus letting them happen to us. So again, getting into that idea of, in this case, maybe lighting the fire instead of putting it out yeah. uh, to make sure that it, you know, does what it needs to do for us versus mm -hmm. waiting for it to happen. Yeah, I love that. And we were having a really great conversation yesterday about the metaverse and how, going back to your point earlier, that we're influencing how we co-create the future. So how do we start to think about, you know, the disparity in the universe, representation, bias in AI, some of these things that potentially are not, you know, being spoken about when we're really, really excited about collectible NFTs for our brands? Yeah, I, I think it's such an interesting space. I have another part of my team that works on identity. Um, it's such a huge issue, I think, that we're going to have to just be cognizant of as, mm -hmm. as the metaverse evolves or, or to be whatever it is. Uh, it's one of those things that hopefully responsible companies are going to pay attention to and make sure that, you know, that we see women represented, that we see, you know, people that are differently able represented. Because right now the metaverse is, one, it doesn't really exist quite yet, but, you know, the way it's potentially being thought of maybe doesn't include everyone. Mm -hmm. So uh, think about it. a virtual world is the best place to, to be inclusive of everyone. So it's just something that's going to have to be intentional, I would say. Yeah, and really integrated into our world, like you were saying, the digital reality living. If you'd like to hear any more on this, the episode that Adam appeared on, on Future Imagines, episode 12, where we talked about immersive experiences, and we talked about this a little bit. Really exciting space when we think about the point that you were touching on of how do you like really hone your focus on something that the business is interested in and wants to understand, but also at the same time stretch the business thinking. We absolutely have to stretch. I mean, because, you know, everyone is so, you know, the majority of people in any business are going to be focused on the bottom line and, you know, shorter term mm -hmm. things. Mm -hmm. If we're not helping them stretch, they may not get the opportunity to do it on their own. They just can't, you know, make the time. Not because they're not interested. It's just hard. You know, yeah. those competing 
objectives, you know, mm -hmm. we're there to help remind them a, a little bit, you know, the Jiminy Cricket in the room. How, sorry, I had to throw in the Disney reference there. <laughs> you know, just to remind people there's other things we have to think about. That's a lot of our role is to kind of provoke that discussion. Mm, I love that. So five years in to Foresight and you've got obviously a lot of clear wins and a lot of advocates in the business. Do you still get the naysayers and the doubters? All the time. <laughs> no, no. I, I, that's one thing I would say. Disney people are incredibly nice and incredibly gracious love talking about these things. I think that where I would call a Disney naysayer, an internal naysayer, mm -hmm. are the people that just need more help making things concrete. Mm -hmm. And you know, I look at our own team as the ones responsible for that. Yeah. I think sometimes we maybe inadvertently gloss over some of these topics that seem so commonplace or normal to us and forget that for most people, mm. it's kind of an unknown space. It is a real stretch. Mm. So uh, that's one of the things we're working on is really making this a much more friendly territory for people. Uh, it, it's not the friendliest space for everyone. You know, thinking about, yeah. you know, next quarter for some people can be hard. Mm. Imagining five years from now can be really difficult. So mm. spending a lot of time there to make sure that we've done our job to make these things approachable and applicable. That, that's been the big shift, you know. Instead of the very kind of academic and, you know, really huge ideas, we're, we're focused much more on the practicality and pragmatism that can exist in the space. It is a part of a business after all. Yeah. So like every other function, it has a responsibility to drive business results. Well, I, and I think that's where we've gotten some real traction, you know. Again, I'll use the hurricane example, you know, that cone of uncertainty. Reminding people that, you know, a little change in trajectory today can result in a huge change years out. Mm. That makes this feel much more manageable and friendly to people that, hey, you know, once we decide where we want to be, mm. it's not this wholesale change in what you do. Mm. It's some small adjustments maybe to how you think about some things. Yeah. Some small adjustments to maybe, you know, a simple program that you have in place that can lead you to where you eventually want to be. Mm. That's a lot more palatable for people, then, you know, the world's going to be completely different five years from now. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, what you said before is really powerful too, because people in businesses struggle to get their heads around some of these ambiguous concepts of the future. But it's very human, right? Like we as human beings are not very good at even predicting our own future or predicting how we're going to react to something emotionally. So do you still find that you do almost like a foresight 101 even today? Even with those that we see quite frequently, we always mm. kind of, even if it's a short reminder, there's a bit of a reminder that I promise you this is not us sitting with Google just to kind of see what's, <laughs> what's happening this month. Yeah. That there really is some rigor uh, and, you know, remind them of the process. Because one thing I do know uh, through repetition comes mm. comfort. We've seen that with our internal people that they're starting to repeat back some of the things that we've shared with them. They're internalizing. Mm. But it's repetition all the time. We always start at the start. Yeah, yeah. And so how do you keep foresight fresh? Like, how do you surprise people? You know, that's, I think, a daunting challenge. You know, always wanting to have new news mm. is sometimes hard. It's sometimes reminding people that the new news is always, isn't always the most relevant. So mm. I think internally we push ourselves to look for new ways to answer old questions. So we're always looking for you know, new and better tools within the function. But when it comes to our, and you know, those that we're working with and consulting with, 
I think, you know, at least yearly, we try to have a, a broader look at the world and what's going on for kind of our longer term planning processes. Mm. But for the day to day, we actually try to come in and help people move with the energies or, or the opportunities we've already identified mm. to help them actually get to that concrete state so they have a good story to tell us so that we can come in and do more, more work to help them kind of move the needle. So that piece of news and freshness is kind of a double-edged sword. It, yeah. it, it can be a little scary, you know. If, mm. if we're just there to be the flavor of the month, mm. et cetera, it's exciting. You get a lot of play out of it, mm. but it, it may not move the needle from an, a results perspective as much as it needs to. Yeah, it's far less strategic, and that's where yeah. foresight is the most compelling when it's more strategic. So with that, we have about 10 minutes left. I am going to give the audience a chance to ask a question. So... Um, in terms of new news and making sure that you know, you're not just sharing you know, a fun fact, are there sort of metrics or frameworks that you use in terms of identifying something that's actually going to be powerful and strategic for the business as opposed to just new news? Great question. What tools and methodologies do you use to make it a little bit more grounded and quantifiable? You know, some of these are things probably those practicing foresight will know, but uh, I'll go over a couple basics. We tend to get into things like the rule of three. So if I'm seeing this signal across three industries, geographies, et cetera, it gives us a moment of pause to say this is something we should probably be paying attention to. It may not make the final cut with regard to sticking around, but it gives us the indication as to it's something to pay attention to. As far as kind of what we would consider important or, or just nice to know, I, honestly, and this is maybe something I don't think we talk about a whole lot in Foresight, there's a significant amount of judgment in the work that we do. It's not the typical, you know, here, this is statistically significant, et cetera, et cetera. It really comes back to having the strong team that understands the business and the external environment such that they can begin to think about and catalog those things that feel or seem to be important enough to impact the business. So some of it comes down to that understanding of this could really shape the future of what we do. Mm. Um, those are the ones we pay attention to. So there, there's some judgment for sure. Yeah, judgment, critical thinking. Absolutely. Yes, next question. This is fun. So it sounds like, I mean, I'm new to Foresight, but it sounds like a full creative role. So mm. my question goes to like, what do you think are the main differences between like what we make called traditional research, you know, mm. positions versus like actually being on foresight. Like, is there a mindset change? Is there something that we could learn, you know, from what you guys are like doing and developing? Mm. Yeah, great question. Creativity. I think that's a great one. I, I will say just the profile of the people on my team is so different than, I'm also a traditional researcher. Actually, my background is not purely just foresight. You know, I worked in, in the insight space for many years and the people on my team are so different than those that were on my insights teams. I have people that came from consulting, um, from the world of academia, anthropologists. I mean, it's just a different skill set in that they may not have the, you know, I can, you know they may not be running SPSS, for example. Uh, rarely do they do such things. But they have that innate curiosity and the ability to gather and synthesize huge amounts of information to make sense of them. Mm. So that and the other one, I think I've heard Joe use this word a few times today, curiosity. Uh, Certain fields just, you know, innately breed curiosity. That's who we look for. Mm. So it, it is a very different space. I will say when we've pulled traditional researchers into the foresight space, I give them a 50-50 chance, not because they're not smart, not because they're incredible people. 
they find it hard mm -hmm. because there aren't those tests to say, is this right? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you have to be a little bit more willing to fly by the seat of your pants. And honestly, I think there's a little bit more, you know, you have to have a little bit more self-awareness and trust and, and willingness to be wrong. Futures and foresight is not the space of being right. It's the space of being ready. I love that. So, so important. And I think, you know, if you do have that natural curiosity about the world or if you're just naturally a little bit more creative or you're thinking, you're connecting the dots for yourself, you know, consider, consider joining us in foresight. Um, one last question. If anyone has one, don't be shy. No question is a wrong question. <gasps> Here oh. we go. Champion. How do you interview for talent? Mm. How do you find curious people? How do you interview for curious people? That's a great question. I've had to do a bit of that over the last mm. few months. Mm. A lot of it begins with where to look for people, I would say. Yep. So, uh, you know, where am I looking for people? across just about every industry you can imagine. I guess there's an interesting story in here from my perspective. One of the very best people that I ever hired into this space um, was a wedding planner. Oh, okay. So why would, you know, a wedding planner, why would you do that? You know, mm. why would you even talk to that person? Mm. Her attention to detail, mm. her curiosity, her, her willingness or need to make sure that things came out right and her ability to plan and think forward she had all of the right mindset. I think that's what it is. It's about mindset. Um, got in and just took off. I mean, absolutely understood the space because, you know, planning for a business to be successful and planning for, you know, a couple to be married and have the perfect experience, it just happened to be some really interesting parallels in there. So, again, I guess I'm pretty open-minded. To me, it's much more about what the person brings to the table from a mindset and curiosity perspective. And for me, looking in new places, no rock left unturned. Absolutely. Somebody I just brought into my team actually has a finance background um, and she's going to do great. I mean, she's, she's wonderful, but she has that curiosity and that kind of drive to understand things that maybe she doesn't understand. Yeah. I love that. Cause the foresight tools, methodologies, you can teach that. Oh yeah. And you know, we do, we, we learn that like, I'm still learning them. But the mindset and that, that level of thinking is um, relatively unique. Yeah, harder to teach, mm. right? You can't teach, well, I guess you can teach someone to be more curious, but I, I think it's some of it is just that need to understand the world around us and, mm. and be willing to challenge and, and ask hard questions, you know? Yeah. yeah, think more critically. So one last question for you, Adam, uh, which is what a future pathway is, a plausible or a possible future that you are most excited about? There's so many fun things happening right now. I, I'll, I'll go into the wellness space, just, mm. you know, it's top of mind. Mm. Um, obviously, we've had a, a rough couple years. Mm. There's so much happening in this space. I'm excited to see where wellness, technology, and just living life come together. What's that going to look like? Mm -hmm. I think we've already seen some shifts now. If you, you know, if you've seen a doctor over the last couple of years... You know, they're calling you versus you calling them. You don't have to leave the home. What's going to happen in that space? How are we going to graduate from just, you know, uh, you know, physical well-being to a much more elevated state of well-being? What's that going to look like? I think the shifts that we're seeing in the, in the workplace will play into that, too. I want to see how that all comes together. I think there's going to be some really critical changes just to, you know, life as we know it because of 
that movement in the wellness space. Yeah, and to your point, it's going to come from the consumer, but also from organizations and yep. how they treat their employees and how they promote wellness and mental health and all of those things. So it's a, an evolving space. And like you said earlier, there are challenges in there that are headwinds. There are huge opportunities as well. So I think that's a really exciting one for us at Mars Wrigley as well. Wonderful. Well, Adam, I love everything that you said. I think we learned a lot from the last two conversations about how do you create foresight and then how do you like keep keep the momentum going and get a lot of success. Um, I love that you said uh, foresight is about preventing the fire from starting. Um, so having the right tools, the right mindset to be able to do that is really compelling. And also, I would like a crystal ball, please, if you can arrange one for me. Absolutely. That would be great. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. If you enjoy our show, be sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player so you don't miss new episodes. And if you can, a five-star Apple review goes a long way to help us connect with other curious thinkers like yourself, and we really appreciate it. The views expressed on this podcast are that of the show's creators, the foresight leaders within Mars Wrigley, and don't necessarily reflect the views of Mars or other employers. Future Imagined is a production of Stories Bureau, produced by Elisa Manjares, with editing and sound design by Matha de Leon. Thank you.